0: I was telling my team the other day is we have a ton of people that are all scared. I get they're scared. If they were looking at themselves 10 years later with the way that rents are going up in the Bay Area, they would be
1: terrified not to buy a house right now. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. You guys are going to be excited. I am talking to David Green again today. I don't know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a lot of real estate stuff. We were just talking about real estate news and inflation and things like that. And then I remembered, wait, we forgot to hit record. David, what's up, man?
0: Another sunny day in California. I'm doing great. How are Another you? Another
1: sunny day in California. You're wearing your Maui shirt, though. And I think your two homes right now are like Maui and California, right? are you Or have you been stuck in California? Beautiful California I've been
0: in California, California. California for probably three months now, which really isn't that long. I mean, most people only go to Hawaii every 10 years or so, so I can't complain about it. But Brandon has me heading out there in a couple weeks to record some content. So I'm probably two weeks out from being in Maui again.
1: You bought some Airbnbs out there six months ago, five months ago.
0: Man, it's longer than I wish it was because we don't actually have them up and running yet. I'm in the process of trying to hire someone to run Airbnbs for me. So if there's anybody that lives in California that's looking for a job, I'd love to hire you if you have some experience with short term rentals. but They've just been sort of sitting there as I've been running all the other businesses.
1: An Airbnb person could live anywhere, really, right? Do you yeah. Begin to live, like, they, they could live in Hawaii. They could live in California. And you, the I'm surprised, I was expecting you to tell me that you're a gazillionaire now with your Airbnb business out there. I remember when I saw you putting the pictures up and I knew exactly where you were. I was like, wait, I know that spot. Yeah, the, you, the, you did. What, what do you is this where you got it and you're like, "Yeah, I just got a
0: couple." Yeah, you're ones. like, "Oh, I know the pool right there. It's a great pool and the location's awesome." Of course, Aaron knows every place I've ever been. He's already been there four times.
1: The I love I love getting to do that. I have not traveled as much as I wanted to this year. What's um what's your latest real estate deal you've been working on?
0: I closed on a big one in Minnesota. That was a 15 million dollar deal. Biggest one I've done, and it was a triple net deal. So it was also my first triple net I am getting my taxes completed right now, and once that's done, I can start buying again. So I'll be looking to buy another primary for myself in uh, Northern California, oh, like about- Walnut Creek area.
1: Yeah. So you did you did a triple net commercial mm-hmm. out there. So I like what you said about taxes right now. So as a real estate investor, I'm not a W two. A lot of you agents listening aren't. And I kind of it feels like I have a couple years in a row where I pay a lot of taxes, and then as a, but then as entrepreneurs, there's ways that we can. Decide to spend extra money or take losses on things and kind of manage that. But it's it's really weird in real estate investing because you don't because no one likes paying a lot of taxes. But if you don't if you don't pay a lot of taxes, it's really hard to get loans mm-hmm. on stuff. So You're like, hey, you just filed taxes. You paid a lot of taxes this year, so now you can get approved on your next loan. What's the what's the real estate market looking like right now for agents trying to get their offers accepted? You know, listings, things like that. Any slowdown yet? <coughs>
0: No, it's just getting worse. It's it's actually such a strong market in Northern California that there are certain clients that we are telling, look, you just shouldn't buy a house in that city at all. Just don't even try. Like in Fremont, California, there was a $900,000 listing that we wrote an offer at 1.4 and it went for 1.55. And this is with no contingencies, nothing at all. And when it's that high over asking price, you can't really even advise your client what offer they should write even if they're willing to go in really strong you can't know if you're going to win there's aren't enough properties there and uh, that's kind of what we're seeing so it depends how you look at everything but what i think is we have such a shortage in inventory and it's so much inflation going on and housing is in high demand especially with being in an area where wages continue to increase that people really need to consider adjusting their strategy. Uh, if If it's your first house and you really want to get a single family home, you're better off getting a condo or a townhouse than nothing. And that's really what I'm talking to a lot of our clients with is it's natural to say, well, I would rather have house A than house B. And when you can't get house A, you just keep trying until eventually you give up. But the conversation agents might need to be having with their clients is, would you rather have house B or nothing until houses become so expensive that you can't, buy anything
1: yeah it's figuring out it makes it even tougher to find the perfect house out there for someone there's so much now of people buying to remodel instead i've heard a lot of people saying well if we don't get this one accepted then we're going to do that giant remodel and that that's not going to help uh right now construction costs are already high i want to get a deck built and the guy's like it's going to take two and a half months I wanted to get uh, my bathroom remodeled here and I've been on this list for three. It's about to start. It's going to start next week. My house, my office is going to get ripped apart, but it was like three months waiting for that stuff. You know, as, as construction prices keep going up out there, it'll be interesting to see what that offset is. I was looking at a neighborhood in, you know, in central Texas, and I saw a bunch of listings for sale in there, you know, going through to comp, pulling it up. And it was like a whole bunch of actives. And I instantly was like, what's wrong? Mm. Now, in, in all normal times, you see five or six houses within a quarter-mile radius for sale, you're like, cool, nice, solid, healthy market. How many, are, how many sold last month? But right now, if you see five or six active in a neighborhood that, aren't, that don't have offers on them, you're like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with the neighborhood? Mm-hmm. You know, If a house has been listed for three or four weeks, oh, what's wrong with that house? People aren't even looking at it anymore. It's, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there in finding stuff that's been listed for a while. And, you know, investment opportunity we were talking about last week with Sean O'Toole was a lot of, of I'm, I'm buying a, a fourplex right now, a fourplex apartment, and everybody has been paying rents. Their rents are like $1,100 a month, but they've been $1,100 a month since 2015, mm. right? So I'm bu- so buying this thing at like a four and a half, five cap, which you're like, this is a bad deal for any sort of return. But when you realize the actual current rents are going to be $1,600, $1,700 as soon as that lease is up like oh there's big opportunity there everyone's having to get so creative to find deals or they're saying like or they're even saying buy this house and then remodel it add a second floor and then you're going to have your needs like buy this house it doesn't meet your needs but then yeah. add a second story to it move it out the one of these that the, one of the articles that I, I was going to pull up the the first the first one it says luxury home sales soar as us recovery favors wealthy buyers this is a bloomberg article uh, by Prashant Gopal came out today. It says, luxury home sales in the U.S. are soaring faster than lower cost segments as remote work, brimming stock portfolios, and rising listings give wealthy buyers an edge. In the three months through April, purchases of high-end homes increased 26% from a year earlier. The rich are best positioned to buy real estate. Now that vaccines bring the pandemics end into view and the inventory crunch begins to ease. I don't know if the inventory crunch beginning to begin ease, but listing of high-end homes in the three-month period rose 19% from a year earlier. Do you feel like that's a true statement? Do as do luxury buyers have more I mean the rich the rich have always been the best position to buy real estate. I think that's kind of a broad statement, but do you think it's skewed right now?
0: I think in any market at all, I like to look at it like you have three different levels of property. You have your first-time home buyer, your entry-level properties that are usually smaller, not in the best locations, Um, this, you know, a newly married couple, typically this is the house that they're going to go buy. Then you have a step up home. That's the house that when you sell your first house, you get into it's bigger, it's nicer. It has a nicer lot. It's in a better area. You can put a pool, you have a space to have rooms for your kids and that property is probably a little bit newer. Then you have luxury homes. These are homes that only people with above average incomes can even afford, or you had to sell a step up home to get into that with a lot of equity. What you find is that the buyer pool is always, it's felt like a pyramid. It's always stronger. There's more of them at the bottom of it. So your first time home buyers, your lower priced houses are always the ones with the most demand because more people are eligible for them. You have your people that are just barely getting in with their FHA loan. You also have your people that make a good income, but they don't want a big housing payment. Everybody wants these houses. There's less people trying to get into step up homes. And then there's the fewest amount trying to get into luxury. So a lot of agents that don't sell luxury properties are just sort of unfamiliar with the fact that they will sit on the market a lot longer than a standard house would because there's less people that are looking to buy them. It's not that luxury demand goes away, it's that it's never a a feeding frenzy to get those properties because there's less people looking to get into them. So it's also one of the reasons why it's not great to get into luxury homes. People look at that $4 million price tag, but they may not realize it's two years before that house is going to sell. That's a lot of conversations that you're having with clients. So, and then the last piece I'll add on is luxury prices are different in every market. You might be in Kansas and a luxury house is $400,000, $500,000, whereas that's not even a starter home in my market. So it's really, it's relative to what the incomes are in that area. So related to that article, it's probably very true that there's more inventory for luxury people to pick from. Right. And, and the market heating up might be the houses are taking two to three months to sell instead of six to seven months to sell. But that's still a completely different story than the person who's trying to buy a house with 14 other buyers. And they're going way over asking. It's still not enough.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that the stats that they're bringing up are totally skewed for the idea just that there's that. Yes, there's less competition on a $4 million house or a fi- or a $10 million house. Like the stuff that they're talking about right now, it's like, yes, there are less people in that buying pool. Not only are is in that lower end buying pool, you've also got, that's the ideal investment property too. If I'm going to buy a house to rent in, it's going to be a $100,000 house. It's going to be the, the one that the FHA buyers, uh, the FHA, the VA, everyone is competing against investors too because real estate seems like a, a good investment that everybody wants to get into. In an article from today, said home prices rise by thirteen percent from last year on a year-over-year, and it said third month in a row of double-digit increases. And I need to remind myself that this is nationally, because I think of these some these markets that we're all hearing about in the news are, you know, hey, we're up fifty percent from last year. Prices are up seventy. Prices are going crazy in certain markets, and I think a lot of our and a lot of our listeners don't live in those cities where we're getting the double-digit you know, increases. So I just wanted to kind of be able to look at that article and and show everybody for a second that when it really comes to average, like the world is a big place. And so as we get to talk about what we're experiencing, I think people, the most important thing is to know your own market, getting to see it. Cause that stuck out to me when home prices rise by 13% from last year, home prices continue to store all over the U S according to core logic increased, you know, 2.1% from from April so prices are just up nationally just 2 month 2% from last month as they're trying to look at you know forecasts and stuff in there but it was it was just a good important reminder when I first saw it I'm like 13% that's so tiny but it's like you know what I need to be able to remind our 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 listeners more that their market is going to be different than the averages and some of the fun stories and it's okay to look at it. if the stats are telling you that if you're only up a couple percent from the year, pri- the year prior or the stats are telling you prices aren't that much higher than they were 6 months ago use your local statistics as you're trying to use these strategies that that people are doing yes, what do you think that, the range is for your places david
0: it's probably in that 13% range it's not that uncommon i had one of my buyers agents go back and look at the people that that dropped out of escrow with us last year in february march when the shelter in place kicked in they just got scared you know the chicken little the sky is falling thing we had 28 in escrow. We lost four. We, I couldn't keep four people from dropping out. And the minimum, the, the lowest number that that house had gone up was $150,000. Most of them were above one hundred and fifty dollars and significantly. So these are on like houses that were priced in the $700,000, $800,000 price range are now eight fifty to nine fifty. Those same houses are selling for that. So it's a pretty significant jump within, in our market, the, the Bay Area. Um, and Sacramento as well. But at the same time, that's because wages have increased a lot out here. And a lot of people have equity in the house that they're currently living in. They sell, they have a bunch of money to put towards the next one. It makes sense. I doubt they're seeing that in Kansas. If you're living out there and wages aren't really going up a whole lot and there's plenty of inventory, they can keep building houses. You're not going to see that 13%. So you made a great point. Doesn't really matter what's going on nationally when you're a realtor. It matters what's going on in your market and your ability to articulate that to your clients is what's going to make you stand apart.
1: Yeah. Real estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal, but it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about RentReady. RentReady is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything, unlimited properties, tenants and support with a real life human and I have to add in there that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing there's like this freemium model where people say hey you can try this but as soon as you grow it's going to cost you a lot of money or they kind of punish you when you get too many emails on your list or too many companies. they aren't going to punish you when you grow they're not going to charge you more when you get 10 20 30 rentals they're going to charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost all software all in one place. Check it out, rentready, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of rent ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50, that's R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R 50. That's Rockstar50. And sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at RentReady.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com with code ROCKSTAR50 to get rent ready for only $54. you know, agents, I would love to hear about what's happening in your market. Like when you're, when you message us on Instagram, you know, tell us what's happening there with year over year stuff. So go find David, go find me. Just tell me what your market is and what you've seen the last few months with just, we're talking price increases. I'd love to do kind of a, a survey out there for what have prices done in your area the last, you know, two to three months. And then the last year over year. I also had some requests from people out there that are listeners that said, I had one request saying, Hey, I'm an agent in Utah. You haven't interviewed anyone in Utah. I would love it if you could get some Utah agents on there. So if you are a rockstar agent out in Utah and you're performing really well, or you know, someone that is tell them to come interview, to get on the podcast. We have some Utah agents that are looking for some advice from people that are performing well out there. I had the same request in Tennessee, Nashville area saying, you know, saying, Hey, we're, we're new agents out in Nashville. We would love to hear from some people that have been big agents out in Tennessee, get their tips on how to perform out here. You know, David, I, after our last talk, I had, I had a gal message me and say she loved our explanation of inflation when we started talking about Whoppers and like the price of a Whopper and how many Whoppers does it cost? Like, hey, a Whopper was a buck in 1998 and now it's three whatever. And We were explaining inflation that way, and she reached out. and said, "I love that analogy. I understand inflation and costs for the first time, and that is that's so great." That prompted this idea that Dave and I were having too. That he's done a that he's done a lot on on his other podcast. I would love it if you guys sent us some messages, like some voice recordings, and for questions you want us to answer on the show. So if it's how do I get a listing or anything you guys have for questions about where we're buying right now, where we're investing, what we tell new team people, you know, if you've got a, a buyer or a seller, you've got a client that's giving you some pushback and you want the answer, send us a recorded message of that, either a video or a message. We'll get it on the podcast. We'll, we'll play it on the podcast for everybody and we'll answer it next month uh, when he comes back on so we can get a little bit more interaction from you guys on it. The inflation talk was interesting because then we also interviewed somebody last week that talked about how technology offsets inflation the other way. And I hadn't even really thought about that. There's a new technology that just came out. This is an article by Inman. And we did something similar in Texas recently. It says, deposit link to enable electronic payments for 1,400 agents in New York. So the growing number of companies facilitate electronic payment of earnest money and commissions through the ACH network and so deposit link is a ACH you know clearing house for people to be able to send in uh, send in their deposits. So in Texas, there's a last year if you bought a house there was a thing called option money. That was your right to buy the property. And that was a check that you wrote d- directly to the seller. So someone would say I want to buy this house for a hundred thousand dollars. For that right, I'm gonna write a check to Aaron for three hundred dollars that Aaron can go cash right now whether I buy the house or not. I, I'm, I'm buying the right to cancel. And then they're also going to put $5,000 in an earnest money account at Title. And in 10 days when they do their inspection, if they cancel, Title will send them back their money, but I don't have to send them back the 300 right? Or if they keep going. So that's that's a deposit earnest money type scenario. And it was always so crazy and such a pain because agents would call us and they'd be like, Hey, can I bring you your option money right now? Like, Can I drive to you and hand you the check? And I'd be like, I'm not in Texas right now. I'm in another (laughs) state. And they're like, well, how do we get it for you? And I'd have to be like, well, just mail it to my address and send me a picture and I'll mark it as complete. And and then finally now, recently in Texas, you can wire, now you wire your earnest money and your deposit to title, and then title will send me the option check. And I was like, why did that take this long? And now there's more companies doing it. I saw something else where there was a digital way to do that. What do they do in, in I don't remember what the process is in California.
0: We don't have an option. option That doesn't come up really ever. I'm, I was, as we were talking, I was thinking, I wonder if it's legal to do that. I should go talk to my broker and find out, is that something that we can do? Because it would be a way to give your clients an advantage over everybody else.
1: Yeah. It's, it is it is something. So I tell you what, you do look at that to see how serious someone is because when they're telling you, hey, here's a thousand dollar option or two thousand, they know that's non-refundable. They're mm-hmm. so like, we are so serious about our offer that we know if we walk away, we're losing this much money. And if somebody just writes a hundred dollar option or a $50 option, you know that, hey, they're not that serious yet. They're just trying to get an offer accepted because essentially they lose that the second you sign your deal. So Are you still? When people are getting into escrow, are they wiring their deposits most of the time for your deals, or do they still have to deliver checks to a title company?
0: No, they're wiring the money, and then you have the issue of fraud, which is why I'm guessing that this company, what it was called, Deposit Link or something, yeah, it's probably a more secure way to be wiring money to try to eliminate the uh, the title fraud that happens. So what will happen is there's people in other countries that will hack into title companies, um, email chains and databases, and they'll see, oh, they just got an escrow for this address. And they'll look to see who the buyer is of that property through the title company stuff. And they'll send an email to the buyer that looks like it came from the title company. Yeah. saying, Hey, why are your $50,000 right here? And then it goes into, you know, some other, some other country with that's nothing to do with the seller and the person loses their money. So what I'm guessing is this product sort of solves that problem makes it harder for that to happen.
1: Dude, that is such a problem in real estate. And I think, I think that's a that's a good insight of it and a good reason to have that product. I'm terrified every time I send a wire. Now I've had people send phishing emails to people that work for me and they've been ready to send checks and send wires uh-huh. and things like that. It's very bizarre and very like they're brilliant the way they do this stuff. And I know a lot of people that it's happened to. And yeah, I'm I'm actually more comfortable logging into PayPal and sending somebody money on PayPal than I am sending a wire because it's like I know I'm at the website. I know that if, that if I put the right thing in there. So if there's a clearinghouse type company, it's like, hey, we're handling deposits for everyone. You come on here, you upload, we do an ACH fund. I could see that building a lot more confidence and less people rushing around. They said one of the problems is, uh, they said, it, it, it's funny, when real estate and title companies see the technology, they're eager to use the platform, but then there's a lot of people that are still wanting to bring in a paper check. So, so it, it, title comp- Some agents, though, even buyers refuse to use such a method and still inses- insist yeah. on bringing paper checks, but the reason is fraud. The reason people are like, I'm afraid to send money anywhere. I'd rather hand you the check where I know that I'm not sending it to the wrong place. That's probably
0: the safest way. If you live near where the title company is, we've had um, another scam where I don't know how they did it, but they got the phone numbers and names of all the employees on my team. And they all got a text message from somebody that said, Hey, are you busy right now? Uh, I'm using someone else's phone or, or my phone. I'm using a different phone. This is David green. And they said, Hey, what's up boss? They said, I need you to go get some gift cards and send them to this address or this website or whatever it was that they were asking the person to do. I'm in a meeting right now and I can't do it. And uh, it looked like it was a text message coming from me to all of my employees using their names and everything. So everybody on the team starts texting me at the same time like, hey, is this you? What's going on here? But uh, they had just messaged like 15 people on my team. And I've heard other realtors have had similar experiences where people can hack into the databases, get that information, and then some employee thinks that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, wires the money or sends the thing, and then you lose it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, be careful out there, team members and agents, because it is I was I was traveling once and somebody had bought a URL that was just like my URL, except for one digit different, one letter different. And they sent an email. So somebody had seen an email from me somewhere. They copied my signature line picture. They emailed my accountant and said, Hey, I need you to cut a check to this and this name, code it to this and send me a scan of it. And as soon as they got that scan, they were going to do a digital, you know, deposit of it or something. And she just texted me randomly and was like, Hey, I'm about to send this over to you. I just, and she had another question about it. And I was like, I didn't send that request. So we were both like, so we caught it, but I could also see how like they were, They were pretty slick out there. So technology, inflation makes things more expensive. Technology makes things less expensive. Technology will, instead of having to drive to the title company, you can now send it. Mm -hmm. Instead of having to go pick things up, you can have people deliver stuff. And so, you know, real estate technology, I think needs to keep happening. It should make things easier and easier, but there's a, you know, this next article is specifically about kind of one company. This is a business insider article from 12 hours ago and it said investors have sunk more than $1 billion this year into startups that are taking home buying online. And this digital closing company Spruce is their latest darling. So digital closing companies raised more than $1 billion, a company that creates software in- infrastructure behind digital home transactions. They offer title insurance, escrow and closing, you know, and you know, even also one of the things that happened during COVID is I got to do my first deals where I got to sign a... uh, Hmm. I got to do like a Zoom notary. Yeah, notary. And I was like, this is brilliant. I love being able to do my notary from home. That's something where I feel like I could still get the trust. I'm on there with somebody. I'm signing docs. I don't feel like, hey, is this person stealing my money? But agents, I think, just need a good... I I think all agents everywhere know there are companies out there that are trying to make agents obsolete. There's all these companies putting so much money into saying... One, it's like, can we replace the agent and make it a, an online buying experience? But I love, I love the digital closing part of it. I, I, I believe that agents are going to be needed and agents need to be able to provide their value because technology can only go so far, but it does encourage us to bring our, our games up. But can you think of anything else in real estate that's like a pain point where you're like, man, I wish they could make this part easier?
0: Communicating with listing agents when you're a buyer's agent is always difficult, especially when listings are getting a lot of um, views. So listing agents, their phones just get blown up and it can be really hard for them to answer all the questions that buyer's agents have. It'd be nice if there was a platform that listing agents could use where, hey, frequently asked questions about the property, go here to get the information. Or a a link you could click on that would take you right to the city's zoning requirements so you could see for yourself. That'd be a pretty big one. The uh, like arranging showings was always a big pain, but there's a little bit of technology that, that solves that one. I think there's so much communication that happens in a real estate deal because there's so many emotions that are firing off from everybody. So... Your clients just get—they get panicked and they get emotional and they have a million questions and they just want to shotgun them at the agent. And then the agent's trying to get their admin to help with answering, and the admin now has to communicate with the agent. Then the admin has to communicate back to the client, or they have to call the city to find out, "Hey, what's going on with this situation?" And the city doesn't answer the phone, so the client's waiting to hear back. They haven't heard from anybody. In the meantime, their mind's going off with a million worries. So, I feel like just that the level of emotion and communication that's needed in in real estate is a huge problem. And it's really what tends to drain both the client and the agent's energies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think as you say that, when I, when we want to encourage agents on what can we be doing right now to secure our jobs, right? What can you be doing that's different? Like there is so much pain in that. On the houses that I list, we get a lot of questions and sometimes we get tired of answering them. I, I would I, and i some some way out there that you could have a an faq you know anonymous question chat form that the agents can see it and it's real time like hey did someone already ask this question because it is a lot of the same stuff hey what about if the property doesn't appraise what's your seller's stance on that You know, or hey, did did you guys replace the roof recently after the last storm? There's a lot of questions on a listing we did this week that have come over and over and over again. And then we can even try to put them go put them in the listing agreement now. But I think that communication is key. And then all those different moving pieces, communicating often back to your client, asking them the best way they want to know. And how do they want to know? Like, hey, do you want me to call you when I know? Do you want me to text you when I know? Like what's what's going to be our process of communication? you know, for this, as we get through it. I, I, I think, have you had clients do the zoom notaries yet out there? Is that I've
0: done it myself and it was great. They just show them your ID over the, over the zoom call or it's not zoom. They have their own like secured, whatever software they use. Yeah. It's the same idea though. You're looking at them on a, on a video call. I don't think we've had that with clients yet. I think we we're still arranging mobile notaries to meet the client wherever, they are, but I've done it myself. And I was like, is it really that easy? Like there's, there's no trick here. There's nothing coming up where I got to go do something more.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's brilliant. The being able to do more and more like that. And then these digital online closing companies that are saying, which is like that opposite where we're like, where I, I want to go full bore into it, but I still worry about fraud. Mm-hmm. Right. So I still would rather hand somebody a check mm-hmm. than send it. But I do know that, that practically wise, I would love to not go to the bank and do it from here. So if you can take the, the home buying transaction but also make it comfortable enough that you're like uploading funds into this escrow account, like the ACH transfer instead of the wire, it does feel like such a more secure... way. I've even heard that, that like if you're going to pay your contractors, it's, better, it's best to do bill pay or ACH from your, from your bank instead of actually writing a check because now checks are so easy to duplicate or people can do so much just by knowing your bank account info. Like you hand a landscaper a check one time that can turn into, you know, so much, so much worse. The next article says, I'm, try, I'm trying to figure like out if you've seen this. I know you you own a mortgage company too. Now, mm-hmm. says, demand for mortgages is the lowest since before the pandemic. After adjusting for seasonal patterns, requests for purchase loans are down three percent from the week before. Down 2% from a year ago. This may be the only statistic that's down from a a year ago in the real estate. Demand for mortgages dropped during the last week of May to levels not seen since before the pandemic after adjusting for seasonal patterns. Mortgage applications decreased for the second week in a row. Lowest level since February of 2020. He says the reason is tight housing inventory, obstacles to a faster rate of new construction, and rapidly rising home prices continue to hold back purchase activity. So- do you think buyers are getting like, do you think buyers are changing or do you think there's just nothing to buy?
0: It's that there's nothing to buy. And so buyers are sort of just removing themselves from the struggle. You, people can only take so much rejection before they say, look, that's enough. It's very stressful. There's a lot of emotional highs and lows when you're in the process of buying a house. It's a huge decision. You have to make it quickly. You probably haven't done it in the last eight to 10 years if you've ever done it at all. There's no way around it that. Buying a house is a really hard thing. I mean, buying a car is stressful. Think about how much research people put into comparing all the different cars and reading the consumer reports and trying to figure out, what should I go new, should I go used? And that's just, it's a car. Well, a house is that times 10. So when someone finally works up the nerve to get into the game and go look at real estate and they start researching it, it's exhausting. And then they finally get to the point they can write an offer and they're scared to death, they write that offer and then they get told, hey, you're number 18, Uh, out of all these offers that came in what you thought was scary for you to write you have to come in a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand higher than that and it might not appraise and you don't know the condition the house is going to be in you're not going to be able to sit here for 14 days and ask your mom and ask your friends what they think you should do and frankly if you don't like that well someone else will and that person is going to to do that it's a lot for people to take in and i would say you know most 80% of real estate agents are not doing a ton of business. So they're not experienced with helping walk people through why it's okay to move forward on this deal or what you're really looking for. They don't know how to help them manage those emotions. And so what we see is just this fatigue that buyers are saying, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to get in the game. And they'll usually tell themselves something like, Hey, the market's going to cool off or it's unsustainable and I'll, I'll jump in then. But I think really what's happening is they're just saying, I've had enough. I don't like how this feels anymore and they're not applying for mortgages, and they're not looking at houses, and they're just kind of staying where they're at.
1: Yeah, they're re-signing that lease for another yes, year.
0: That's exactly or they're, right.
1: Or they're deciding to remodel the house if they already own. It is a really tough time to be a buyer, and I don't know if uh, I'm on the listing side. I'm on both sides of it. I'm a buy. I'm a buyer more often than I'm a seller. But when I'm a seller, I don't think I am thinking about how how tough it is on the buyers too, like for them to write that. Like sometimes it's like, Oh, I got, there's so many offers that come in or I've also had some lately. I got a couple funky houses that the offers are coming in 20,000 below asking. And I'm I'm going, well, I'll just wait. The market's strong enough. I'll get it. But the, but not having that conversation to realize even for whatever they wrote, whatever offer they wrote, that took a lot of time, a lot of effort. How many times, how many offers do you think somebody has to write before they hang up their hat and take a break?
0: It depends on how well they were. the expectations were set by their agent. So we really spend a lot of time with our clients. Some of them all just straight up say, I don't think you're ready to buy a house. I have this, this example that the worst thing in life is to be in a physical fight if you don't want to be fighting. It's terrible yeah. when you're in a fight and you don't have the desire to be there doing it. You're getting hurt and you can't make yourself fight. And it's So I tell people, just you should not be getting into combat unless you know this is what you want to go do. Buying a house right now feels like combat in some of these markets. You are not competing with the seller. You are competing with the 12 other buyers that want that house. And it's going to be a scrap. And you have to really, really, really want it for it to make sense to get into this at all. It's not like winning the lottery where you just throw your offer in and maybe they'll pick yours. No, they're going to pick the one that makes the most sense for them. And if you're not going to write it, don't even get into the game. Just don't go look at houses. Don't try to buy something unless you are you are just as motivated as the other 12 people that are trying to buy the house. Because when there's 12 offers, there's 11 losers. Having the 11th best offer is exactly the same as having the worst offer. You only have one winner. So what I notice from us is we'll tell people that and some of them will say, hey, we want to go do it. And we'll say that offer is not going to work. We just don't think you should write it. And they'll say, no, we want you to write it. Three or four, and most people are either saying, I'm not going to buy a house at all, or they've got to that come to Jesus moment where they realize waiting is just going to make this worse. Prices are probably going to go up higher. I guess I have to do it. You know, I have to write the offer. I didn't want to have to write.
1: Yeah. It's finally finally time. It's um, knowing how many times they have to, if if their expectations are set and it's like, hey, we're going to show houses and we're going to write offers and we're going to go strong, but it's going to be, this is a battle right it's going to be a, it's going to be a long process and then it's like set those those long expectations and if you get something accepted faster one of the things that you said there that i think that every buyer's agent should tell their clients right now every buyer's agent should to remind their clients you're not negotiating against the seller you're negotiating against the other buyers that is a complete change of mindset in real estate because 18 months ago you were negotiating against the seller when it first comes out you're hoping to be the first offer in, but you know, usually it's not. If you write an offer within the first day or two, that's you're gonna be the one you're negotiating against the seller. Yep. And you're trying to write your offer strong enough that they want to accept it, and not wait around another week, but still as low as you can, but yep. still you're trying to get as much as you can from the seller. The goal 18 months ago was not write a super strong offer they can't refuse. It was write the you know, the least strong offer I need to. And get still get it accepted. Yeah. And the negotiation was always back and forth with the seller. Well, what are you going to do if it doesn't appraise It's out of my hands, that sort of thing. And now it is. It really is against other buyers. When people are, they're saying, hey, can you do $4,000 worth of repairs on it? I'm, and it's just like, I'm sorry. There's two backup buyers that have already released contingencies based on the same thing. Like, no. And it's not that I'm a jerk. It's that somebody else, is, somebody else wants the house more. And so it's like the most fair thing is actually to cancel and sell to them or to, or to say no. But knowing it's a very different battle when you're battling against people instead. So right now, so mortgage rates, it said they were up over 3%. Now the averages are down on a 30-year fix back under 3%. 15-year fixed rates average 2.27% on loans. That's crazy. I mean, getting into the twos is is wild. Long-term, you like, have you what have you seen the last few months what do you think's gonna happen in the next three to six months as far as the market or interest? just the rates like the the, the mortgage side of it the, like people are saying hey they hope the prices are going to like if someone say i'm gonna take a few months off and hopefully prices cool off or not who, who, like I, I don't believe that's going to happen but i don't know enough about rates to know what will what do you think the do you think the rates will also go up and make things cost even more money or do you think they're going to stay stable
0: I think if rates went up, it wouldn't affect prices. If you're getting 12 offers on, I mean, at least in the markets we're talking about that are this competitive. If you're getting 12 offers and rates jump from three to 4%, let's say, maybe that eliminates half the people. You still have six people that want that house. It's not like the price of it's going down when you're getting six people that want the property. Um, And and that's where the, the consumers or the buyers that are looking for something external to change To make it easier for them i just think they're going to be disappointed that capitalism does not work that way when there's this much demand and this little supply you can move the pieces around however you want if rates go up something else is just going to change and the price of the house is going to continue to go up i mean a lot of people are getting beat out in with my los angeles team we have a expansion team down there they're just losing to all cash buyers it doesn't matter if, if If somebody says all, if the house is five hundred, and someone says I'll pay six hundred, the cash buyer just says okay, I'll pay six (laughs) hundred. They say all right, I'll pay six fifty. Okay, I'll pay six fifty, and I'll close in half the time. When there's that much money floating around, you know, like it almost doesn't matter what external factors change. And so, what what I found what makes us successful is that we are having a difficult conversation with the client and just explaining to them, you have to go for a house that less people want. Okay, I know that house on Redfin blew your mind and it's perfect and someday I want you to have that house. Today is not that day because someone else has more money than you and they want it worse. We need to look for a house that's really ugly, that smells bad, that other people are overlooking that's in the path of progress and that neighborhood's improving and you can get that house and that's much better than nothing and in a couple years you'll have enough equity that you can go after the one you really like and The savvy people, the ones that understand delayed gratification, they're making really good moves, like those people I told you about in COVID that have already made $150,000, $200,000 in one year on some of these properties. And the stubborn ones, they're just getting passed up.
1: Yeah. I think so many – Like I bought my house the day that the world shut down, and I was so terrified over it. I was wishing I didn't. I wanted my down payback. Biggest house I ever bought, retail. I like buying deals. I like buying foreclosures. Biggest house I ever paid you know, premium for, and now I look brilliant and I feel brilliant. And my, and my kids think I am the, the last article I wanted, to, I wanted to bring up, which is kind of funny because it's kind of the opposite of what you and I have been saying. And what most of us have been saying by now, it. I had Daniel, Daniel Del Rio on here mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago and, and we were looking into, and and you know, Daniel, uh, David and Daniel and I, we've all hang out in, in, in NorCal different times. And he had talked about, you know, that bought a house 10 years ago, no matter what, we if, if someone bought a house in 2005 today, they'd be looking pretty brilliant. They'd be excited. Top of the market. In 2010, yep. the person that bought a house in 2005 looked stupid. So all these yep. different so overall, I think the people that bought houses in the last year, very, very happy. The funny thing is I was pulling up this article, David. There's actually a quote on there from Scott Trench, which is the you know, the CEO of uh, your other company that you're part of mm-hmm. bigger pockets. He's down it was down at the bottom, but as I was down, I'm like, oh man, I gotta I gotta bring that up while David's on. So this article, it's a Business Insider article. And if you're watching it on YouTube, you can see the article. But it just came out eight hours ago. It says, millennials who snapped up homes in the hot real estate market revealed their biggest regrets from unexpected costs to high mortgage payments. And the funny thing about surveys is they can say like, hey, do you have any regrets? And of they could probably say, yes, I have regrets, but I still wouldn't do anything different. And so, the, so I think the, the word regret can be strong. But it says 64% of millennials regretted buying their current home. Again, I don't know if that means that they wish they wouldn't have, but this says their reasons included unexpected maintenance costs and high mortgage payments. The frenzied market led many buyers to snap up homes, skipping inspections and due diligence. You know, when we were on here like four months ago in the Boston market that like Kimberly Meserve talked about, she said every buyer there was just released, was just waiving inspections. That's the only way you could get your offer accepted. So the, it said, uh, among homeowners between 25 and 40, they surveyed 1,425 people. All right. So regret may be a strong word, and maybe but this is really funny. Maybe funny is the wrong word. 20% of, 21% of millennials said maintenance and other costs are too high. That surprised you? Oh.
0: No, because I mean, what's the stereotypical understanding of a millennial that don't know how to do anything? and they're not very aware of what's going on in the world around them. I don't think maintenance costs are any higher than they were 50 years ago. I think 50 years ago, people knew how to fix things on their own and understood when I buy a house, stuff's going to break.
1: Yeah. I think the offset is it – So when you rent a home, somebody else takes care of it. When you own the home, you take care of it. But the other benefit too, if you're really pinching pennies like that and you're going, hey, I was renting a house for $1,400, now I'm by, now my house payment is fourteen hundred. The tax credits, a benefit of owning a home, offset it. So and
0: the loan pay down, yes, at,
1: yeah. At the same time, so the person that maybe so if, if they spent, I would like to see like what was the average expense. And they're like, oh, well, I spent three thousand dollars more than I thought I was going to. I bet their house is worth three thousand more today than it was when. when <laughs> and if they you ask the
0: same it. question five years from now. Where their payments fourteen hundred and everyone else is paying nineteen hundred in rent that they used to be fourteen hundred, they'll say buying this house was the best thing that I ever did.
1: Do you think agents need to do a better job at telling people ahead of time, "Hey, once you're a homeowner, you're going to have costs like this," or do you think it's do you think it's not an agent's job?
0: No, I do think that's an agent's job. In fact, it's kind of a little like being in my bonnet that. Agents tend to show their value as pure emotion. Hey, I will hold your hand the whole way. I specialize in first-time home buyers. The process of buying a house for the first time or the 10th time is not any different. What they're just saying is basically, I'm an emotional caretaker in this process. And that is a role we play. But do you go to anybody else in the world who says, I'll hold your hand? When you go buy a car and the person says, hey, I don't really know anything about cars, but I will hold your hand through the whole signing process, you'd be hitting the road. When you go to a stockbroker, or the person you're going to for financial advice, are they just offering emotional support or do you expect them to understand their industry and what it is that they're selling you? Agents need to be able to articulate to their client from a financial or a wealth building perspective what the best move would be for them and show them their options and why it makes sense. What I was telling my team the other day is we have a ton of people that are all scared. I get they're scared. If they were looking at themselves 10 years later, with the way that rents are going up in the Bay Area, they would be terrified not to buy a house right now. I mean, it's literally 200 to 300 bucks a year that rents are increasing in a lot of these areas. So you're paying 3,500. In two years, you're gonna be paying 4,000. Two years after that, you're gonna be at 4,500. It's going up that quickly. If you don't lock your payment in by buying a house, you're gonna be losing a ton of money. And if we cannot explain to people, that's the reality. Okay, like the tide is rising. If you don't learn how to swim or you don't get up higher, you're going to end up drowning. To me, that's what the job of the agent is, is to really give you all the information so you can make the right decision. And I think agents have got ourselves into the hot water of having a bad reputation by only focusing on the fear elements of it or the emotional elements of it.
1: And here's the, here's two funny ones. 14% said they bought a house too big. Another 14% said they bought a house too small.
0: That is so, I knew
1: you were going to say that. Dude, that's like the, (laughs) and six, so that also means, if I'm doing my math, 72% bought a house just right.
0: (laughs) Which is a pretty good
1: percentage. Right, that's a pretty good percentage. It was just, (laughs) so now I'm like, okay, that's a very dramatic headline of 64 people regret it, 14% bought a house too big. 14% 14% bought a house too small. 15% said their current home is in a bad location. Unfortunately, you don't really know that until you buy. I think that that stat has probably not changed in the history of the world. I think you got 85% of people are like, I love my neighborhood. And 15% of people say, you know, this neighborhood isn't what I thought it was going to be. I don't think that's any different right now than a normal real estate world, right? Sometimes they'll say, go drive through the neighborhood at night. So you yep. know if it's a good neighborhood.
0: And 15% of people don't want to do it. Right. This is completely unrelated. So I had to waive my inspection contingency. You don't need to get a home inspector in there to see what the neighborhood is like. You could totally have driven that neighborhood. There's a lot of diligence that could have been done during that process.
1: It, the, the ranch that we, that we used to have in Loomis, the, as soon as these one kids started driving their motorcycles and shooting guns in their neighborhood, a couple people moved. They're like, they didn't like the neighborhood anymore. But that was something that had nothing to do when they bought it. It was just like, you yeah, realize, like, oh, way. They're like, oh, I don't, I don't like it when the kids shoot guns next door. That the uh, that for whatever reason, thirteen percent said their mortgage payment is too high. Twelve uh, percent said they didn't get the best mortgage rate. Thirteen percent said they overpaid or paid too much for their house. And again, what I love with all these stats is that means eighty-seven percent felt like they got a good deal. Um, that mean, if nine percent said it was a bad investment, that means ninety-one percent said it was a good investment. 13% so they overpaid that means 87% didn't or the mortgage payment is too high every month expenses like repairing or fixing uh, a roof or appliances or heating and cooling sy- systems stand out a lot now i agree with that like that is if you buy a house and soon after you've got to replace your hvac it happens to me whenever it happens i'm like man that sucks yeah i do not like paying for a new roof Right after or a yes. new HVAC right after. I mean, roof, I guess most of the time that's insurance deal as long as you... And the
0: HVAC could have been covered by home warranty. If they paid for it, they probably didn't want to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Understanding that that part of it too. I think... So if someone was going to bring this article to you and say, hey, 64% of people regret it. I shouldn't buy a house anymore. I think that every single one of those can be mitigated if an agent's doing their job. the ex- The roof can get covered in insurance unless it, they didn't do a roof inspection at the beginning, um, right? So if it happens to a hailstorm after you bought it, insurance is going to fix it. That's super common out in Texas. If the HVAC system goes out and you bought a home warranty, you're still going to pay through you know a few hundred dollars most of the time, but you seldom need to pay for the whole deal. And, the, and if nine people think it was a bad investment, that meant 91% of people mm-hmm. thought it was a good investment. Have you had anybody coming back to you this year saying uh, they regretted buying their house?
0: The only time that ever comes up is if a family member gets in their ear and tells them, you could have did better, you could have got this house, or your cousin went with someone else and they did something different than these people did. It's never come up organically. Um, and the people that were the most worried when they were going through the process I'm not saying this in the medium, but we've been calling them and asking them, do you know what your house is worth and letting them know, hey, you've made a hundred thousand dollars in nine months. It's probably gonna be even more than that later. So it's very difficult for any intelligent person to have regret when they realize when you're in the process, that four thousand dollar credit that the seller doesn't want to give you just can really drive you nuts and you think you're losing. But Nine months later, you've made a hundred thousand dollars. Don't you think that seller would have liked to wait nine more months and then they could have got a hundred thousand more for their house? You totally won in this example. It's just the fact that human nature is tends to focus on where we lost or or where someone else took advantage of us and then we just ignore all the ways that we, you know, we ended up winning. The same thing that every time you catch a red light, you know it. But you never sit there and be like, "Man, I was running late for work, and I got every green light the whole way there. I'm so lucky." Nobody thinks like that.
1: Yeah, it's always it's always seeing the the part that didn't work out quite like we were we were thinking it was going to be like that. It is. Yeah, it, it said it, you don't want to be frantically trying to buy anything is bad. Right, So if you're frantically trying to get something and and you're just like, hey, let's just buy something out there because the market's going up. A quote I heard last week was, it's a great time to invest, not a great time to speculate. Mm. And speculate is guessing like, hey, this is probably going to work itself out. And investing is going, no matter what happens, this one works out. Like I like this deal because of this, 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 and this, and cash flows like this because this is this, this, this. Or a home buyer that's gonna live in it, they go, you know, no matter what, this is the neighborhood we want, this is the park we want. If we overpay a little bit now, we're gonna be here t- for 10 years, it doesn't matter. Not a great time to say, hey, I'm gonna stretch a little thin, but I'm probably gonna get that new job next year. I'm probably gonna get that raise, and then I'll be able to, you know, afford it. So great time to invest, great time for long term, not a great time to speculate. When somebody regrets that they they didn't get a good enough rate on their house or they overpaid like they didn't get the right mortgage rate that's kind of like saying I wish I would have bought bitcoin back in December or January right or it it's just or I wish I would have bought the you know the, all this GameStop stock before it went up it's people saying like hey somebody else got a better deal than me because they waited or if you buy the the people that bought the Tesla Um, and then a week later they brought back free supercharging for life. I know those people were like, Oh my God, I bought my Tesla a week early. The people that bought after me got free supercharging. Yes. We want to see the deal that we didn't get or somebody else got a better deal. We need to remember, I was willing to pay that right now for whatever I was willing to do. What's, uh, what's your plan for the next couple months out there for your, for your real estate team?
0: You know, I've actually told some of my guys and gals take some time off right now, You're spinning your wheels. You're working really hard. It's probably not going to make a difference in the bottom line because there isn't enough inventory. We've had some difficult conversations with with our buyer clients. We have about 150 people that have signed buyer representation agreements right now. And the vast majority of them are, are just like, hey, I'd like to get a good deal. And by the standard of I'm getting something under market value, you're not going to get a good deal right now. Um, From the standard of if you buy something at all, is it going to go up in value like everything or most houses end up being a good deal? So we've kind of tried to separate the wheat from the chaff in that perspective and just told people, hey, I don't want to waste your time. You're not going to get a property. I don't want to have you spin in your wheels. Wait until something changes or your your constitution improves or you really want the house that bad like the people you're competing with. Um, And I'm really taking this time to focus on training. I don't know what's going to happen, but what I'm predicting is that there's a lot of agents that got their license during COVID or maybe right before that, and we don't need this many real estate agents right now. There's not enough houses for everybody to be selling. So I think a lot of the, the non-committed agents, not the people listening to your podcast, the people that don't bother listening to podcasts, they're going to get sort of squeezed out of the industry. They're not going to be able to make enough money. There is isn't going to be enough clients for them to work for it. And those that are good, they're still going to have a hard time. So I'm sort of trying to prepare a platform where if an agent's like, man, I'm just not able to, to make this on my own, they can join us. We can pay them to, you know, to show houses and, and help, uh, generate the business that we're getting right now interacting with our clients so that we can improve and then creating uh what we call the the david green team university where new agents come in and we have this onboarding program that we can get them caught up to speed with what it takes to be a good agent develop the right habits and then see if they're going to be a good fit to work on the team
1: the david green university i love it i think it is a great time to sharpen the axe whenever things get busy Whenever things get tough out there and you feel like you're spinning your wheels, it's a great time to prep. One of my companies we sell foreclosure lists, right? There's less foreclosures right now in Texas. There was a crazy sale yesterday with SWAT team and sheriff uh, on site, you know, that they had to there was like an angry mob trying to stop a foreclosure sale. It was pretty wow pretty crazy uh, to see. I hadn't seen anything like that before. So it was like a wild day in the news out there. But a lot of that business has been right now, we're we're training, we're making the software better. We're not trying to do any marketing for the business. Because if we're usually having six or 7,000 foreclosures a month, and right now we're having 1,500, we don't have to do all that outbound marketing. There's no reason to run ads. There's no reason to do it. We got to make the system really good. We got to make the onboarding system really good. We got to make sure that as soon as someone signs up, they're getting the best emails and the best instructions to succeed. So we're kind of sharpening that ax right now, getting ready to release and say, so that way when they come back, we can unleash it. Same thing for agents that are learning. You know, More and more people, we've had so many people, uh, as part of Real Estate Rockstars, we've got a website called Rebus University. Uh, I think david's been interviewed on one of the classes on on rebus university so rebus university it's r e b u s university the if you go to our podcast page you'll see it sometimes we've got ads for it on there but we've had so many agents lately going and buying the one and two off um, classes right and i think it's the same more in the last month than we've had in the last nine, 10 months people signing up for classes not by us doing any outbound marketing but people just saying hey there's there's, there's 15 classes in there. Uh, I'm going to go buy this one class to kind of sharpen. And I got the email yesterday uh, from my guy doing the stats, and he couldn't believe how many people have gone and just signed up for some courses. And so your idea of people getting smarter right now, taking the time to get a little bit better at processes before there's a little bit more listings that come on or things start to feel a little bit normal, The uh, I think there's a balance, right? Like get the income you need, but do not bang your head against the wall. Or if you've got that one client that's always going to offer you know th- th- we've got that one client that's, that you're not going to be able to make the deal on Then maybe it's time to make you'll know, get better at your trade or do some outreach the, do you do any offers on coming soon any other people do uh, like if you see like a house is coming soon you start to go make offers on it or for sale by owner
0: there's it just doesn't really get any traction that one of the annoying things with uh, agents in my market because selling a house is so easy right now if you have a listing you're guaranteed to do well is they just become this little parrot that just says highest and best highest and best over and over and over and if anybody's ever been working with buyers trying to communicate with the listing agent they know what i'm talking about please don't be that agent that just says highest and best to every single person that comes to you but that tends to be what you get with the coming soon is there's this fear of missing out that if we take this offer we 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 could have got a better one and they don't want to be responsible for the client saying well why did you tell me to take an offer before we had the the bidding war so the coming soon's aren't necessarily even available in most of our markets to buy. So I like what you said, when there's no trees to cut down, sharpen your ax.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Be ready. And then when the trees are there, you're going to knock them yep. out even more. The I did have somebody just send me a message and they said, Hey, I love your podcast. I love the last ones you did with Daniel and with David. I listened to it this morning. Love your content, the value you provide. An in-depth look at the numbers. Love it when you guys drill down to the stats that keep the market current. Median sales price in my market is 17% higher than last year. We have less than a month's worth of inventory in all but five of our 74 zip codes. Uh, and she, she got one yesterday for her seller that was $66,000 over asking price on a 1,000-square-foot home. So that was that was Sarah Real Estate on there. Thanks for the shout out on that and the and just that reality too. So 17% higher in one market, $66,000 over asking on 100,000 or on a 1,000 square foot house. Like that is a wild market. Mr. David Green, it's always awesome to have you on here. Any final thoughts for anybody out here? I know that we're going to we'll end up having you on again soon. When am I going to see you in Austin? Are you coming out here anytime soon?
0: I think I'm coming out. Well, I'm going to Breckenridge, I guess, because they normally we do the GoBundance at Austin event in the summer, but they switched it. So I got to see. I mean, it depends if Keller Williams, if they're going to have their uh, mega camp, I'll be out there for that.
1: Yeah, we'll go back to, to the and serving. So, yeah, so next month, probably see in Colorado. The um, maybe, maybe I'll even get out to NorCal. We'll see when we get to meet up next. I know I'll talk to you soon. Um, people, if you want to go find David Green, you want to talk to David Green, David Green 24 on Instagram. Is that right? Yes, sir. At David David Green with an E at the end. G-R-E-E-N-E 24. But most of you guys are already following David. He's got 10 times as many Instagram followers as I have. And he likes to remind me that my content (laughs) doesn't get anywhere near the amount of interaction that his content Please start
0: liking all Aaron's stuff. He needs it.
1: Yeah. You have to like some of my stuff just so David won't tease me as soon as he comes on here and be like, dude, nobody even comments on Toby that. Nobody likes you. <laughs> I'm like I'll show you my messages, bro. We're having fun out there. David, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure. You know so much about what's going on in the market. Real estate rock stars. Thanks for listening. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegie jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show.